0: We've converted our caregivers into information finders, information connectors, documenters. We don't need them doing that stuff. And a lot of that is going to be the first step that gets automated with the new generation of AI and all of
1: those things. Hello, thanks for tuning in to Healthcare Strategies Industry Perspectives. This is our ninth and final conversation from the Health 2023 Conference in Las Vegas, where we heard various perspectives on industry trends from leaders in healthcare technology. In this final episode, we dig into automation, a subject that has been met with mixed emotions in the healthcare workforce and beyond. On the one hand, some fear that the rise of automation will shrink the job market as machines replace humans. On the other hand, hospitals and health systems are in a desperate place regarding understaffing, and many see automation as a savior for their increasingly overtaxed workforce. So is automation a boon or a bane? Our VP of editorial, Kyle Murphy, caught up with Russ Richmond, CEO and co-founder of Laudio to find out. Let's hear his answers.
2: Well, Russ, thank you for joining us on healthcare strategies here at Health. You know, before we get into our talk, tell me a little bit about your professional self. Kind of, what's your history? What's your background?
0: Sure. Thanks. Thanks for having me here. So, my background is I'm a physician. And I spent 10 years as a McKinsey consultant doing health system operational work. And then I got into digital health. I've been a digital health CEO for the last 15 years or so, both a startup founder and a professional CEO.
2: So what are we actually, I should say in full disclosure, we were chatting last night. So we're talking a lot about workforce. How did you get drawn into trying to develop a solution or trying to help these health systems really improve the way they deal with their workforce and manage them?
0: You know, um, two different ways. The first way is my prior company actually was a ed tech company that was educating both physicians and nurses. And through that business, I got a lot more familiar with the workforce operation, what they needed, what they were thinking about. And so that was sort of like a background educator Um, I've also like married to a physician. I've been a physician. I've been part of the workforce. And then finally, um, I was a patient for three months. So six years ago, I spent three months in the hospital. I got to know my caregivers very well. And um, through that experience, I got really interested in the workforce because what they were telling me was they weren't happy in their jobs, but what I was feeling was that they were doing a great job taking care of me and that disconnect is something that's really stayed with me and motivated me.
2: So yeah, what is it about being a clinician, I mean, they, these folks get into this as a vocation. They're really dedicated to helping patients, but the demands of the job seem to not be aligned with their aspirations in terms of what they want out of their professional lives. Right.
0: Yeah. I mean, I start from the place that caregivers go into the profession because they actually do care. I mean, these are like really good people. And also, interestingly, they're not afraid of hard work either. It's just that the job has gotten to the point where they feel fundamentally disrespected. They're giving away a lot of their personal time, their lifestyle, shifts around the clock, getting called in when they think they have a day off, working overtime to cover for whatever didn't happen, putting up with sicker and sicker patients. The acuity level is going up. Patients' families are becoming more difficult. Patient violence has been spiking. Um, So these caregivers are getting assaulted. And then because of the complexity of care it's a harder job there's more data systems they have to keep track of there's more protocols they have to remember there's more scrutiny on their performance and this is all falling onto the shoulders of a person that just wanted to take care of people so you know we're kind of at a bursting point
2: yeah so obviously one of the things that's come out of the pandemic is in just now into more recent times the workforce is kind of pushing back We've got increased labor costs, which are eating into health system you know, revenue and profits. So there's a lot of pushback there. You talk about being kind of at an inflection point. How do these health systems that, that you work with, at least the ones you are kind of thinking about in the right way, how do they go about addressing this? How do they show to their workforce that we care about you and that we're also being mindful about how we're using them and making sure that they're day-to-day professional lives are productive, but also satisfying.
0: Right. I mean, and that's a challenge. They've got to be working on all fronts. On the revenue side, they simply need to be capturing more revenue because that's helped them pay for some of the increase in costs on the labor side that we all know are the inexorable trend in all services industries, especially healthcare. So they've got to be you know, lining up and getting better paying patients in house. They've got to find a way to take care of patients on a per member per month basis versus an episodic basis. So on the revenue side, they're busy. Then on the cost side, they really have limited places they can go to manage their costs. One of the places that we're seeing is all the management layers that sit between say, a chief nursing officer and a direct caregiver nurse. A lot of health systems are looking at that and saying, Do we need all of those layers? Does it have to be a a manager, a director, a vice president, you know, a senior vice president, or can we collapse some of that? Can we get more efficient? Are they able to um, reconfigure the work so that folks are working at the top of their license? They're getting less expensive workers to do the less expensive items and bring in expertise where they need it. A good hard look at the work, but fundamentally, they need to automate. I mean, automation is probably one of the only exit valves that they have because we think about it, they've got mandated staffing ratios in many states around how many patients per caregiver and where you don't have those mandated ratios. You're like morally bound to keep good ratios, right? Because it's about avoiding accidents, taking good care of people So you can't thin that out much more than it's already been thinned out. So then they have to look for other places to solve this problem. A big place is, as I said, going to be automation. We've converted our caregivers into information finders, information connectors, uh, documenters. And now the responsible for all these things are outside the actual event of the laying on hands and the delivery of care. We don't need them doing that stuff. And a lot of that in my mind is going to be the first stuff that gets automated with the new generation of AI and all of those things.
2: Yeah, what are some of those tasks? Obviously documentation is one of those things. There's this weird balance, and I wonder if you agree with this, where a lot of people worry about automation replacing workers. But in this case, it's actually, you need automation to keep those workers, yeah. right? So it's a weird paradigm shift. I
0: couldn't agree more with how you frame that. I mean, unless we can automate away the administrative of care, we're not going to hang on to any of these people because they're already full. You just can't put one more thing on top of them. So documentation is an obvious and easy mechanism. And I think a lot of folks are working on that. But I mentioned something earlier, which is our caregivers now are sort of they're also data connectors. They've got to put information assets together from various systems, whether it's the clinical record, the vitals, the chart or administrative systems like quality and safety reporting systems or other uh, compliance related activities. All of that burden is falling on them as well. And that can be an overwhelming amount on top of their existing job. And I think it's some of that sort of more back office data operation, that actually AI and automation can really help us. And that's a frontier for us. Even at the level of the leadership or the managers, as an example, they're responsible for connecting the data in their workforce systems, right? So their Oracle, their Workday, their Kronos, to the EHR, their Cerner or their Epic, because they need to manage the teams they see in the workforce systems, to the outcomes that they can see in the EHR and all that concatenating, all that mashing up of data right now, that burden is on them, right?
2: I have to imagine, yeah, the cognitive load for these individuals is off the charts, right?
0: It's a huge yeah, load. Chart. And the cost of missing something is sort of the Democlean sword that is sitting on top of every caregiver. They don't want to miss. So that's like, um, you know, that's that's a cognitive burden. That's a, a emotional burden that I think everyone on the front line of the care force is living with every day.
2: Can we talk about, I mean, the solution and how imperative it is on these health systems to really address this issue straight on. I mean, we know that there's not enough new folks coming into the workforce. The workforce is aging. I mean, to me, that's a perfect storm that's likely to, I guess, really undermine these organizations financially. Right. Is this something that they really need to address immediately? Immediately,
0: I mean, because as you're saying, there are huge supply constraints in the workforce, right? And that's a tr- that's a secular trend. It's not going away. You can map it a decade out. So we know we're stuck with that. So what are they doing in the face of that? I mean, during COVID, they got all kinds of travelers and contract labor in to fill the gaps, right? We know that didn't work well, it, it caused cost overruns. And there's also quality and safety issues with having a chimeric workforce on the ward at any given time. You've got some people that are full-time employees, that understand all the systems, know the physicians, etc. You've got others that are just showing up for the day They can't even like log in to get the chart, right? So, I mean, the, the ultimate goal has got to be to maintain a full-time employee workforce but to give them the types of flexibility and support they need to manage their job like an online staffing opportunity.
2: How do these, if, you know, a health system that's kind of feeling this crunch, how do they get started to really think about making changes? You know, you guys obviously have a solution, but I guess from an assessment, kind of a self-evaluation standpoint, what are the first steps that they need to take in order to really affect some kind of change so that the future starts to look a little bit brighter rather than Yeah,
0: I think that they can't manage what they can't measure. Everyone can measure an engagement or a turnover rate, but then what do you do with that information? What we're seeing is that obviously through the pandemic, that became very important for everyone to know and understand. But we don't quite have people, you know, getting promoted or paid yet on their ability to manage those metrics and to keep them under control. So what I would love to see is sort of something like the equivalent of an employee net promoter score, something you can manage on a daily or weekly basis, be part of the ongoing kind of measurement and evaluation and promotion and bonus payouts of everyone in the health system. I think that would do something to change a lot. Then they need to get behind the drivers of why people are turnover and why are they leaving. I mean, like I said, people aren't afraid of working hard and they want to deliver care. So those two things are in place. What are we doing that's getting in the way of those two laudable goals and causing people to leave? And a lot of it is things like inflexibility on schedule, lack of appreciation, sometimes it's payment, not always it's payment, but it could be uh, taking a good look at wage rates, promotional pathways. Are we taking care of our new hires? You know, the new hire window, the, the one to three year window is the highest quit rate window, right? There's also a an old adage that nurses eat their young, which I hate, but it's like you've got some longtime tenured employees that aren't looking out for the new incomers and folding them into the team, building those social bonds and relationships that are the glue at work and that interpersonal connection. So it's not one thing. It's like 10 things and they all have to happen all at once. It's a big challenge.
2: Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. This is obviously an issue that's not going away anywhere. And if strikes are any indication of kind of where the workforce is, there's obviously a need for some kind of positive disruption or just a way of managing these things much more efficiently.
0: I mean, that's the world we're in. I really appreciate you guys highlighting the topic. It's an important topic. Thank you so Thank much. you.
1: Listeners. Thank you as always for tuning in to this final episode of Industry Perspectives. We hope you enjoyed these conversations as much as we did. We might be wrapping up this series, but we will be back in the new year with more episodes of Healthcare Strategies and Healthcare Strategies headlines. After a little holiday break, our next episode of Healthcare Strategies will air on January 8th, and it will be all about what our editorial staff is hearing about predictions for healthcare in 2024. So. Be sure to follow us on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen to get those new conversations in your feed. Have a great end to 2023, friends, and we'll chat in the new year.
2: This is a Tech Target production.